Thank you for downloading this Brum Radio podcast. For more podcasts, visit brumradio.com. And now, for your listening pleasure, it's the Brum Picture Show. Brought to you by Brum Radio. Hello, and welcome to this very special episode of the Brum Picture Show on Brum Radio, the weekly film show covering local, independent and world cinema, brought to you by Birmingham-based community cinema collective Screen B14. Now, we've got a very special episode today. We won't be following our usual format, and instead, we're going to be taking a look at the year that was in film, 2023. So now I've got a very special treat for you. I am going to read a list of all of the films that I have watched this year. You see, I'm not one of these modern letterbox people. I keep an old school notes file on my phone of all the films that I've watched throughout the year. So here we go. Number one, Barbarian, 2022, four stars. Number two, The Imposter. 2012. Four stars. Number three. Something in the Dirt. Uh, Paul. 20... What? Are you literally going to read every film you've ever watched? Well, I mean, there's only there's only uh, 269 films that I've I've watched this year, so I think at that pace it will take you 57 minutes to right. read the entire list. I don't well, think this is hour, good is it, ra- This it, isn't good radio, mate. But it's an hour-long show, 57 57- Mate, get a Letterboxd. We're on Letterboxd. Brum Picture Show. Right. I'm Letterboxd. Well, I lug every film we mention in the show. I was enjoying I'm not, it. Oh, thanks. I'm not, well, what, I'm not lugging, what is it, 237? 269. I'm not lugging 269 films, mate. Well, That's ridiculous. Well... Well, who, who are you people? I've just come in here to, to share with the listeners my, my films of the year and my arbitrary star ratings, and, and you come along in here and, and, and tell me that's not going to be good radio. Uh, I'm the head programmer of Screen B14. My name's Nadine. Uh-huh. I'm a writer-director in my own right. All right. Uh-huh. And I've been on at least four episodes of this radio show with you previously, so I'm slightly concerned that you might have hit your head or something because... Um, it's a bit weird that you don't remember who I am. Well, and who are you? Well, your star ratings aren't arbitrary, mate. <laughs> well, I don't know. I feel all star ratings are kind of arbitrary because, you know, going through, actually going through this list, just realised like four stars is is kind of meaningless, what was it? it? Oh, you want me to carry on? No, okay, no, no, so, no, 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 so no, no. number five. No, no, um, that's enough th- of that, honestly. Right. I have to say, I do admire your analogue list keeping. Mm-hmm. You're very much, you remind me of a young Paul Schrader. <laughs> uh, I was reading Schrader on Schrader uh, not long ago, and uh, there was a line that really struck me where he just said, All I did was see films and keep a log. And I read that and I thought, Oh, that's all I do, except I do it on Letterboxd. I think, oh. I think a young. If, Young Paul Schrader would add Letterboxd. Yeah, man. Forget about it, mate. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, you should get on Letterboxd at the very least to follow us, Brum Picture Show. Yeah, all right. Um, or to man the Brum Picture Show Letterboxd so I don't have to do all the grunt work. All right, fine. Well, thanks, Nadine. Um, did I actually introduce myself? I'm Paul. Hi. I present this show. And we also have... Rory, hello. Uh, I've been on this 
three times now, I think. Yeah. yeah. I, uh, not as many as me. No, because I had to miss one to uh, further my career. Mm, oh. And look how that worked out. Ooh. Ooh. Still hurts a second time. <laughs> <laughs> and you ooed it yourself. I have heard that uh, you've got a short film coming out. I do indeed, yes. Letters from Space. Amazing script. I've read it. It's awesome. Do check out Rory's fundraiser. Let's get this film made. Which is what all great careers are built upon. Exactly. A crowdfunder. Exactly. Yeah, or just going around and seeing some dentists. I mean... What? <laughs> <You> <laughs> oh, no, no, no. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Sam Raimi. Yeah. Uh, yes. And, and shout out to um, a director I've worked with, Ollie Poulter, who did actually raise money through a root canal. That's it, honestly untapped. In our last, in our first film, yeah. Untapped to uh, source some money there. I don't think it was a root canal. Anyway, that's just, <laughs> that is a ridiculous sidetrack. My name's Rory. I'm a, I'm a writer, soon to be director and stand up. And uh, I love doing this and I love to see you guys. And I'm looking mm-hmm. forward to our roundup. Oh. Well, it, despite the fact that you've just completely rejected my my list of films i'm glad to have you both here i so. loved your list <laughs> I, I, Thanks, i'd Rory. like to read it as a list mm-hmm. and not hear it on the radio <sighs> well maybe we'll put um, it on the internet i have to say i am slightly jealous because how many films did you say you watched this year uh 269 which was nothing in comparison to 2021 where i watched 479 oh my, films my, what was going on was that covid year yeah it was a was covid there, year it wasn't there. the covid year um, um yeah. i only watched 166 films this year amateur well that, no i suppose it just yeah, means that if, you're... I, if only i didn't have a job and then yeah. i could just watch films all day i know that sounded really bitter. Then <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't have a job. <laughs> oh dear. No, but who wouldn't love to watch films all day and keep a log? Exactly. Like Radio Paul or Paul Schrader. Exactly. We're peas in a pod. Yeah. He and I. Peas well, Paul. You know. Well, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully, if enough people carry on listening to this show, then one day we'll all be paid to sit around and watch films all day and just waffle. That'll be the dream. That'll be the dream. But anyway, well, I suppose seems as you're both here, we might as well have a group discussion about the year of film in 2023. So, I mean, it's it's been a decent year for film, hasn't it? Really? How would you describe 2023? I think I think there's been some good films. Not that many five star films for Mm. me, if I'm honest. But generally, I think it's been a good year for film, and I'm looking forward to the the award season mm. seeing seeing what gets an award and what gets rejected i love all that you see i did notice this because i was comparing my list from this year to my list from previous years and oh my goodness i was yeah definitely way less generous with the whole five star things this year and i don't know whether that's because i've not seen as many good films or i've just become more cynical and miserable and 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 harder to please in the last year i don't know what the, that is there are a lot of the lot of films that i think are getting a lot of awards buzz that haven't reached our shores yet mm-hmm. so i feel like you know or have just come out like i haven't seen anatomy of a fall yet i nearly i'm gonna see it like tonight mm-hmm. um so unfortunately i can't talk about it on this show no. but i've heard it's amazing so maybe in the next episode i can talk about it uh, priscilla i've been looking forward to mm. that 
not out until January. So I think a lot of these awards, buzzy films, some of my, in fact, one of my favourite films, I don't even know if it got a theatrical release this year, um, but we'll talk about that later. Yeah, yeah it's bit, well, that's becoming increasingly a thing is... Uh, good films just aren't getting theatrically released over here like the new john woo film isn't getting a uk what? release date apparently like that's what? that's 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 madness isn't it well that's where your community cinemas come in like screen b14 mm-hmm. and i program the films for screen b14 and i'm gonna let you into a little secret a lot of the times i program films that i missed at the cinema and that i want to see pearl hence in that programmed it it was awesome. Mm-hmm. Asteroid City, hadn't seen it, programmed it, awesome. Sold out as well. Mm. Past Lives, we're going to be showing that. I hadn't seen it when I programmed it, have seen it now. We can talk about it later in the show. Yeah, we certainly can. But yeah, there's certainly been some some big films this year that I'm sure we, we may or may not get onto. Of course, the year started with Damien Chazelle's new opus, Babylon. Oh which my God. <laughs> certainly divided Bring opinion. That- I'm going to be mentioning that. Okay. Uh, yeah. All right. Okay. Well, I mean, is it going to be one of my favourites or is it going to be one of my biggest disappointments? Oh, I cannot wait to get into <laughs> that one. Uh, and then, of course, we've also had new Spielberg film, The Fableman, which I'm sure we'll be getting on to. Of course, there's been Avatar. And uh, yes, of course, we've had another 500 Marvel films, <laughs> Ant-Man and the Wasp and whatever, oh, whatever. No, we shouldn't be. We shouldn't Wasn't be. one of your fans of the year then, mm. Ant-Man and the Wasp? Was that, this wasn't this year, was it? Yeah, it's on my. It's the eighth film on my my list. Um, but that wasn't but this a, year. That was this year. Ant Man and the Wasp was Quant- uh, Quantum Mania came out. In oh, 20- Quantum Mania! I thought you meant Ant Man and the Wasp. What did you well, rate Ant Man and the Wasp? Two stars, and that was possibly generous. What would you rate it? I haven't seen it. I haven't <laughs> seen it. I've seen it, mate. <laughs> yeah, no, I did not much care for that. I'm boycotting Marvel. Yeah, rightfully so. Sort of. Well, I've been so... watched. I have watched a couple episodes of Loki, but who can get enough of Kihoi? Kihoi Kwan, not me. The Quanessence. Get used to it, guys. What? I didn't understand <laughs> a single word of that sentence. Kihoi Kwan from. The Goonies, everything, uh, everywhere, uh, all at once. Oh, him. Come on, yay. Well, he's in some Marvel stuff, is he? He's in Loki. Well, I don't know. I don't care. Oh, about whatever, whatever, whatever. No, no, no. I'm so done with the Marvel stuff. Like, I used to, I mean, I enjoyed I enjoyed the, you know, Avengers and all that. And But after it got to Endgame, I was like, right, I've had enough of that. I never want to see a superhero <laughs> film ever again. And then they just keep making them. And now mm. you've got to watch all their TV shows and all their ever nonsense to be able to get any understanding of it. In in fact, yeah, that was another uh, film that was out this year, Guardians of the Galaxy Part 3. Did, I didn't see No, and I, I saw it and I had no idea what was going on for a lot of it. Because <laughs> you, you had to have seen about 50 hours of other, other content to, to be able to get it. It's, it's well, like, is it me or are these films, I, I'm not going to call them theme park rides, I'm not Martin Scorsese, but they're mm. turning into television now. Yeah. It feels like if you've missed an episode, you've missed a whole yeah. storyline. Yeah, because that is a lot of that. Because the first Guardians of the Galaxy film, I kind of I liked a lot because it was just like oh this is a bit different this this works as a standalone film and now it's just like you've got to have done so much so, so much background reading and I just found most of that film impenetrable I was just what is this what is happening anyway so we've had that 
We've also had Indiana Jones, the new Indiana Jones, the Dial of Destiny. Of course, it's also been the year of Barbenheimer, the cultural phenomenon. We've had a new Mission Impossible film. We've had a new Poirot film. We've had new Scorsese. We've had new Ridley Scott. We've had... Um, it has been a good year overall. Yeah, the stuff has definitely been released. <laughs> that's, a, that's such a classic Paulism. It's a film that exists. Stuff has definitely been released. It was released. You come yeah. out with these lines. Uh, there was obviously new John Wick film. Uh, was there? Yeah, there was. There was <laughs> another one. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I, I love John Wick. I, Have I we love had the ballerina yet? Is that next year? I think that's next year. Yeah, yeah. That Fair. should be. That should be an interesting one. But yeah, uh, and of course, new Avatar and all sorts. Lots of stuff has certainly been released. It's a, a year lot. that yeah. has existed. It's a year that has existed. <laughs> there were films that you could watch with your eyes. And go, oh, that was that was definitely a thing, wasn't it? Anyway, so we are going to be discussing our favourite, our least favourite films of the year in some detail. If you would like to get involved and let us know what your favourites of the year or least favourites of the year were, then please do email us at pictureshow at brumradio.com. Or get on us on our social media platforms, mm-hmm. Insta, Facebook the platform formerly known as Twitter, mm-hmm. at ScreenB14, or you can hashtag Brum Picture Show. And we're even on Letterboxd, Brum Picture Show. That's right. You are listening to the Brum Picture Show on Brum Radio, and we are having a very special discussion of the year 2023 in film. So... We're going to start by being a bit negative because yeah. let's face it, it's not been the best year for many of us. So let's let's get all it's, the negativity been, out of the way. It's been the best of years. It's been the worst of years for film, hasn't it? It certainly has. So we're going to talk about our biggest disappointments of the year. Uh, you know, not even our least favourite films, just films that maybe we expected to enjoy yeah. um, and then we're like just let oh, us down it's a hurt it yeah. hurts worse yeah, yeah. exactly you're like, yeah I can't wait for that film and then you watch it and you're like oh I'm sure there's a few of these so, um, well it's funny s- that you mentioned Babylon earlier because <laughs> I'm afraid that has made my list oh. of biggest disappointments and I've been looking forward to this film for Years, I think, ever since I heard it was announced. I loved Damien Chazelle's first film, Whiplash. One of the best edited films I've seen. Mm. Really lovely, tight editing. Great cinematography that I like. Lovely um, shots, great performances. J. Jonah Jameson was amazing in it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely deserved his Oscar. Really kind of put Chazelle on the map as a filmmaker to watch, as as a new auteur. Mm. La La Land classic mm. beautifully shot ryan gosling emma stone they're always a great pairing um some catchy tunes in there not my f- i didn't look not a perfect film but i actually loved the ending because it kind of took us to a place that we weren't expecting i remember going to see it at the cinema with my sister and we watched the ending we we're like oh was it that that was unexpected again visually beautiful and for a musical i've watched you know a fair few musicals but i have to say often the romance part the drama part is a bit undercooked and they're kind of saved by the song 
songs and the dance numbers whereas this I feel like you know if anything that was the stronger part of the film mm. and the chemistry between you know Gosling and Stone is obviously brilliant they've been in so many I think it was like their fourth film together or something they just keep mm. getting paired up together they're like uh, Hepburn and Tracy or something at this point um, so yeah La La Land brilliant first man didn't love it it was fine great you know decent film Babylon I was so looking forward to this mm. I thought it's going to be a big canvas for him it's old Hollywood I'm assuming it's based on the book Hollywood Babylon that my mum had on her shelf that I remember dipping into as a mm. teenager with all these scandalous stories of things that stars had done and and had been covered up by the studios, you know, murders and crime and all sorts of, you know, stuff that I can't even get into at this time of day on the radio. Mm. And I just thought, you know, this this guy's got form. This is going to be awesome. Tobey Maguire's in it. Mm. My favourite Spider-Man. Mm -hmm. Oh, my God. I can't wait to see this. I had it on my letterbox watch list for, I don't know, two years or something. I've been looking forward to this. Margot Robbie's in it. She's excellent. She's always good in stuff. No. No. <laughs> Watched it. Didn't care for it. Wow. I didn't like the tone. I don't think the hu I don't think he can do humour. I don't think uh, it's his forte. I think keep it serious or or put some musical numbers in there maybe. La La Land was funny though. Yeah, but but the mus I don't know this the humour in this just didn't land with me. I mean, maybe you're a fan of of elephant poop. It, it wasn't. Didn't, I am. Did, yeah, I am. Didn't work yeah, for me yeah. at all. I felt like some of the subject matter could have been taken more seriously, mm. could have been darker in some ways. I think in a post-Me Too era, if that's what we're calling this era that we're living in, mm -hmm. I've, I, I'm calling it that, I think some of those darker elements to sort of Hollywood could have been explored in a more meaningful way. Sometimes I felt like they were played as jokes or taken not seriously. I think all of the characters were desperately unlikable, but not in a way that made them fascinating as uh, they weren't like it wasn't like oh I want to know more about this character some of them were very one note and I have a lot of time for Margot Robbie I think she's an excellent actress um, but I feel like yeah the performance was one one note in this I just didn't like it it didn't give me a sense of the period it felt like it could have been at any time I didn't feel like I was taken back in time which is what I loved from a period piece I want to feel like I'm stepping back into another era I won't go through the storyline, but at the end there's a big compilation of great moments from movies over the years. I think it only sort of served to show us that this was not one of those great movies. <laughs> I think it was a mistake to add that in. Go, oh, yes, Singing in the Rain is really good. This film, not so much. I didn't connect with it at all on an emotional level. The humour didn't work for me at all. Visually... I wasn't blown away. I think I remember reading a review, I think it was on Letterboxd, about... Because you have all these big epic scenes and all these extras walking along and it just felt so choreographed. It's so sanitised as well. It's supposed to be this kind of, you know, uh, anything goes era of this sort of Hollywood. Everybody's on drugs and they're doing all these naughty things that they shouldn't be doing. Mm. And it just felt... I don't think... Shazal is, is per perverse enough to kind of show that. Mm. It just felt it felt sanitised, it felt choreographed. I didn't buy it. 
I didn't, I just didn't, yeah, it wasn't grimy enough. It didn't, I don't know. I don't know what he was going for, but I did. I wasn't, I wasn't buying what he was selling. Okay. I, I completely disagree. <laughs> no, no, no. Well, you know me. Uh, if you were listening to our film noir episode and my discussion of Under the Silver Lake, you'll know that I love an absolute mess. Uh, yeah, I love I love an absolutely self-indulgent mess of a film, and that is exactly what Babylon was. And I had a whale of a time watching it. I was just like. I want to be at one of those ridiculous parties. I want to be fighting a snake with Margot Robbie. I want to be covered in elephant dung. In that order? In that order. That probably is the best order, isn't it? Yeah, party, fight with the snake, elephant dung. Because you don't want to be be covered in elephant dung before you start hanging out with Margot Robbie. You know, or go to the party. You probably wouldn't do very well for yourself there. So I feel like the party might inebriate you en- enough to yeah. fight the snake. So yeah, go exactly. snake first. Yeah, then party, then elephant dung. Right. Sna- no, you, no, you, you need just said the party, party would first. inebriate you enough to fight no, the snake. No, I, I don't want to be inebriated. Oh, oh, you don't want no. to be inebriated. Oh. oh, okay. You wouldn't want a bit of Dutch courage before taking on a snake. Okay. <laughs> yeah, maybe a bit, a bit of Dutch cocaine. <laughs> The I, one good thing I'll give you is I think Diego Calva is is a brilliant find. Mm-hmm. I've never seen him in anything before. Okay. I think he's got the potential to be a future movie star, something we talked about in our last episode. Mm. Who are the new movie stars? Well, maybe Diego Calva, but perhaps this isn't the film that, that best showcases his talents. But I do think he's got charisma. He's got a great screen presence. I think he needed a better character. Um, I don't. I think the script was my problem with mm. this film. Uh, I, yeah, and I just thought it was stupid, and I loved it for it. Paul, can you both accept that a film is bad and that you love it as mm. a bad film? Yeah, yeah, sure. Okay. sure I think sure, that's sure, that's sure. actually quite an interesting thing, really. Yeah, that, having said that, I don't think it is a bad film. No, I just think it's. Um, I do. A, <laughs> I think it's a bad film. I think it's not a very I worthy film. I don't think it should you know. be made. Oh well, I I'm very much disagree. I'm just so I know. I'm I'm glad that Babylon is a film that exists because <laughs> you know what I love films, films that, that exist. exist. Well, I guess we so, just gotta agree to disagree on this yeah, one, mate. Fair dues, fair dues. Uh, any other disappointments from Nadine? Do you want me to just list all my disappointments? Uh, well, quickly, quickly. I've got a couple of mini ones. Very quickly. Um, Stick to films. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You know what? I've got a lot of time for the Mission Impossible films, huh. and this one wasn't terrible. Yeah. But it was a little bit disappointing after the last one, which was one of the best. Mm. I say one of the best. I think Ghost Protocol is my favourite. And I love, I've got a lot of time for Brian De Palma's first one. But Mm. I do find the series as a whole is very hit and miss. It Mm. feels like often there's a good one, then there's a bad one, then there's a good one, then there's a bad one. And this was one of the, I wouldn't say it's a bad one. I would say it's slap bang in the middle. And if there's anything that isn't disappointing, it's mediocrity. (laughs) That's true. It's not a hot mess. It isn't one of the best. It's just slap bang in the middle. I don't know. I feel. I feel like all the later Christopher McQuarrie um, Mission Impossible films have all just been very, very solid, enjoyable romps, and they're exactly what the James Bond films should be these days. And it? it's just, yeah, look what ridiculous stuff Tom Cruise is going to do this time. What's he going to jump off this time? And I thought. I don't know. I, just... I thought Fallout has been the best of their pairing so far on this series. 
and I have to say, honestly, some of my favourite films are Mission Impossible films. Like I said, I love Ghost Protocol. I love the first one. I was really excited about Kittredge's return. If you've seen the first one, Kittredge was a, a wonderful foil for Ethan in that. It's a brilliant moment of them in a restaurant with these canted angles, these mm. Dutch angles where the camera's slightly askew. And we get a bit of that in this. And I was getting, oh, I was like, oh, they're bringing back some of the De Palma imagery. Love it. Mm. But there was just too much exposition. I think this film suffered as a part one. Its whole purpose is setting up the part two. There's a necessary exposition that we don't need. The stunts, yeah, they're really cool, but none of them have that kind of gasp that you get when, you know, Ethan headbutts the Burj Khalifa or um, Ghost Protocol, mate. I mean, they all blur into one. Oh, my goodness. For me. No. One of the greatest... I watched that on a plane. That was the first time I watched that film. And even on a plane, I was like, oh, my God, I wish I'd seen that film at the cinema because that... Literally, every time I see that, um, there's a moment where Tom Cruise has to jump into this window from a distance and he's hanging off, you know, the tallest building in the world. And every time I watch it, I think, oh, my God, I don't think he's going to make it. And and he almost doesn't make it. Mm. And you're like, oh, my God, he's not going to make it. And I've seen that film, like, I don't know, ten times or something. He makes it. Mm. There were other films in the series. <laughs> Spoiler alert. I do admire his dedication to practical effects. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what gives it that edge. Is, this, is the feeling that actually Tom Cruise might kill himself on this one. <laughs> um, and I do enjoy... I actually saw Tom Cruise while he was filming this film. Oh, that's cool. So he was filming at Grand Central, the train station. I got a train to see my cousin that day. I got ushered into this group. I was like, oh, what's going on here? I got ushered into this crowd of people. Tom leaned over the balcony, gave us some heart hands. Uh, we all screamed. It was amazing. And it's quite fun. Noticing Lovely. giraffe and fizz. If you've been to Grand Central, there are places in Grand Central. Oh, okay, right, Places right. you can buy stuff oh, okay. uh, and eat and drink. Oh, right. um, so that was fun. Uh, but yeah, I, it wasn't like, so, it wasn't as disappointing as Babylon, but I wasn't too impressed. Quick note, um, Tom Cruise famously got his car stolen when he was in Birmingham, didn't he? Yeah, and he so. ate two curries. Oh, yeah, yeah. In so, a row. So there, so there you go. And that made the news. Lovely. That's right. pretty good, two curries in a yeah, row. Yeah, he had one and it was so delicious. He was like, I'll have another one, mate. Oh. And that's what makes him a movie star. That'll be in the next Mission Impossible film. He'll have five <laughs> curries. <laughs> Anything disappoint you this year, Rory? Yeah, um, again, is disappoint. So it's not like you said; it's not a bad film. Mm. It's more of um, I didn't I didn't think Oppenheimer was a five star film for me. Ooh. Well, well, yeah. Uh, yeah, it wasn't five star for it, me either. It wasn't even. Well, I think it generally, oh, it felt like it was two films mm. rather than just one film. It felt quite disjointed. Like the first film was about hit. It was really about the Manhattan Project, and then mm. the second film was this courtroom drama. Mm. And I felt like the film really should have ended when he was giving that sort of big speech about the potential sort of effects of you know, you know, of dropping dropping the bomb on mm. Hiroshima yeah, and Nagasaki. Yeah, yeah. So that was the one. I just felt like it was a bit too long, mm-hmm. but not in the same way of like Killers of the Flower Moon was where it could get away with it because it just mm. felt because because it, it was too disjointed. Mm. I also feel like, and obviously. Yeah, Christopher Nolan, all, all of, almost all of his films are that non-linear 
structure mm. you know but it worked for memento and it worked for inception because they were sort of the non-linearness of the film was integral to the to the structure of the film mm-hmm. and the film itself and even with dunkirk as well i still think it works quite well mm. but with oppenheimer for me it felt like why was it non-linear Mm. It still never made. It still didn't make any sense to me as to why it was nonlinear. Why were we mm. jumping back and forth? It didn't feel like it was integral to the to the the film itself. Yeah, he just can't help himself, can he? Mm. That Nolan. Mm. The other thing I felt was it. I felt like the Manhattan Project for me should have been the focus mm. rather than Oppenheimer himself, mm. which I don't think I, I don't think I've heard really, but because the Manhattan Project was one of the most important events in the Cold War, really. It really sort of kicked up, you know, towards the end of the Second World War and then the Cold War. Mm. Oppenheimer as a man, you know, for me was second to that event, mm-hmm. even though he was directly caught, he directly caused it. So I liked like the build-up of his life towards the event. But for me, because it was so significant within history, then the courtroom drama was was, mm. was so insignificant to me compared to to the project itself mm-hmm. and the effects of it which is you know just complete devastation mm-hmm. and then gridlock really politically mm-hmm. and then threat of nuclear annihilation which we maybe we're still feeling so yeah that was kind of my issues with it it didn't feel like it, the core of it didn't make sense to me mm. i think my main issue with it was that it was directed by christopher nolan um <laughs> no, no, seriously in uh, christopher nolan has made some Absolutely wonderful films, like obviously Memento and everything. And I, you know, I loved Inception, but Inception was definitely the start of uh, his films becoming overly grandiose. And my main problem with Oppenheimer was that relentless score, and it was just, it just didn't stop. And it was just, it was so Christopher Nolan. And that I was like the, thing. the score. No, that yeah, was no, the no, best no, thing. no. I love the score. I just wish it had stopped for a minute because <laughs> for a film that is mostly people talking in rooms I wish it had had the confidence in its audience that it just didn't feel the need to make every scene seem so exciting with it's just like oh this is happening just just yeah just turn the music down for five minutes let us listen to them have this interesting philosophical conversation and I think he often feels the need to just be so bombastic with everything and the, the the man did not understand how to mix dialogue. I don't care what he says about, oh, yeah, we're mixing it for the best possible experience in the best possible theatres. But no, you should... You know, make get your ears tested, mate. Yeah, get... It's like when, you know, when it's important expositional stuff, like, I loathed Tenet for that reason. Like, just wish it had just kind of dialed down on the on the Nolanness really. And I, I would have actually preferred the version that was just the courtroom drama. It's incredible that that film was so successful for what it is. Yeah. And, you know, I guess maybe that was that was the way of bringing such a film to a mainstream audience is, is you know, by, think, by presenting it in that in that way. But, but yeah, I just, oh, I just wish it had just, yeah, turned My, my biggest gripe, uh, I'm, I agree with Spike Lee. I watched a documentary on, on the um, Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And there's this, there's this argument that people say like, oh, well, those bombs ended the war, so it was like a necessary evil. When you hear the real-life stories of how people die uh, from an atomic bomb, often slow, not just the people that were immediately eviscerated, uh, but, you know, people who got radiation sickness, how that stays there, people who died slowly over time. 
I don't feel there was enough of that in the film. Well, there wasn't any of that in the film. And I think it kind of lends some credence to this, oh, well, it was a necessary evil. Mm. I, do, I feel like, and I agree with Spike Lee, there should have been something. Christopher Nolan has come back and said it's all from Oppenheimer's point of view, so he wouldn't have been aware of that stuff. But mm. I think that's an excuse. He could have put he could have put some shots or something in the film to bring it home to an audience who doesn't know their history, what the effects of those bombs were. And I just don't think there was enough of that in the film. Mm. I do think. I mean, that scene when he is doing the speech. Yeah, I mean, it makes like it seem like it's a bad thing. Like I get it, but I just I don't think I feel like a lot of the film is like we've got to do this, we've got to do this. The Nazis are going to do it first. Mm. Then the Nazis don't do it and they carry on anyway. Yeah. And I feel like that that wasn't explored fully for me. It was explored, mm. I think, in a theoretical way, which was the, the courtroom mm. scenes. You know, there was the whole debate of, which I didn't even realise where, you know, they could have done it, you know, they could have just dropped it in the sea and just, just as a demonstration to the Japanese of how expensive how terrible yeah, the bomb so was we could do this or or mm. you know or they but there was alternatives but the idea really was no we had to do it exactly not, and i feel like not just sorry not just to end the war but also which was oppenheimer's thing of in order to create basically the cold war which was the stalemate politically mm. the nuclear stalemate politically but you're right, and I also agree, because I came into that film thinking maybe they, they didn't need to do that because it was focusing on Oppenheimer. But then whenever you make a film about the devastation, of, about the nuclear bomb, you probably need to talk about its devastation. I yeah. think so, especially because, all right, maybe you know your history, maybe you know the backstory, but this wasn't like a niche film. This was a big blockbuster film that lots of people went to see and I think a lot of young people will go and see that film and they'll only have half the story and I get the focus was on Oppenheimer but he had an opportunity to present at least something of that other side mm. of the real effects of that bum and why this was such a terrible mistake in my view. Mm. I don't think those, those bums needed to happen especially both of them. And I think Christopher Nolan's politics is always a little bit dodgy if you actually start looking into his films. I think this is the best of his films in that respect, but mm. it's still it's still very coming from his point of view and his worldview, and I just wasn't there for that. And again, as people have said, the women in it were very paperly thin, mm. characterised. I know the film isn't focused on them. I just, yeah, some of the motivations were like, why is she doing that? I've no idea. He hasn't explained it. Mm. I'm glad it did well in in many ways mm -hmm. because it's not the kind of film you expect to be a big blockbuster. Yeah. I think he was attempting something. I don't think he fully realised it, but I do hope Killian Murphy wins the Oscar because I think he was amazing. Mm -hmm. I love Killian. Yeah, definitely. Um, of of the Barbenheimer phenomenon. I've got to say, I preferred Barbie. Barbie. So. <laughs> I, you know what? <laughs> I won't get into it, but Barbie almost made my disappointment list. Oh. I just didn't love it. I, I love what it was trying to say. I love that it made a bunch of money. Mm. It is basically a toy commercial, though. Okay. Well, you I just... can't I, get yeah, around that. I, I couldn't mm. disagree more. <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, Oppenheimer, four stars. Barbie, five stars for me. Fair. I totally agree. Yeah, there we go. Uh, well, I guess let's probably move on to my disappointments briefly. Well, briefly, because I'm not sure, like, this isn't as much of a disappointment because I didn't particularly care for Avatar. But yeah, Avatar 2, ugh, 
I did not enjoy that one. And technically an amazing achievement, but as with a lot of James Cameron stuff, it left me emotionally cold. I didn't care about what happened to anyone. And uh, to quote Spaced, uh, if I, I found it to be a fireworks display of a toy advert. It's that that just was that. my review of Barbie. And <laughs> 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 Barbenheimer. Oh, there, there we go. And um, yeah, and of course, it just falls into the uh, the common problems of James Cameron films is that the man can't do dialogue and it's I hate all of the military macho business going on. I hated all the all the all the bro stuff, all those bro. annoying, oh my goodness, yeah, all those teenage like blue aliens. people just going bro all the time and all this gung-ho bleh, nonsense. So, yeah, didn't care for it. Amazing technical achievement, but I have very little interest in seeing any more of it. Just enough. Uh, James enough Cameron, enough. stop it. <laughs> <laughs> Fair. Another big disappointment for me, unfortunately, was Ben Wheatley's Meg 2, The Trench. Oh. Because I love Ben Wheatley. He is one of my favourite directors and he's made some of my absolute favourite films. Sightseers is top five films for me. And I was really excited to see this because I thought, ah, brilliant, this is going to be silly Ben Wheatley goodness. And there's just, uh, there just wasn't enough Ben Wheatley in there for me. And I, I, I understand, you know, is a gun for hire in, in this case that I just felt like I was hoping to see a little bit more of his personality and, and his input in there. And I didn't see any of that at all, really. And I wish it had been more violent. And, uh, you know, and I do. Like, <laughs> I for, wish it had been more I violent. Do, for that kind of film yeah. for, that is about a giant shark <laughs> causing mayhem. It was a bit tame. Yeah, it was very tame. But of course, it's a PG-13, so it's going to be hampered by that rating. So, yeah. it's it, And for a PG-13, it was probably about as violent as you can get. But I just would have loved to see the R-rated ridiculous proper Ben Wheatley I actually version. Went, I actually went to the uh, the cast and crew screening. Oh! Yeah, for the Meg 2. Media yeah. hotshot. I know. Well, yeah, because um, well, my partner, shout out to Lauren, she worked on the... Uh, she worked on um, the Meg 2 mm-hmm. on the production yeah and it was uh, I don't know if Do you we want to take back some of what you just said yeah. <laughs> no because no. I'm sure I'm sure she'd no. agree she, she doesn't care yeah. 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 she did a great job and it seems like neither does Ben Wheatley <laughs> yeah <laughs> exactly but they had a uh, they introduced the film like Ben Wheatley was there but they introduced the film mm. and he introduced it I can't remember the exact phrase that he said but it was something along the lines of this is a uh, Interesting. <laughs> I thought you were going to say this is a film that exists. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, exactly. Because, well, he, because he was in China promoting it. Right. Because well, oh, to be oh, honest. Yes, there was so much of the playing to the Chinese market in that film, wasn't there? Like, yeah. Yeah. That is, the, that's, that is where all the money's made for those films, really. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. But, uh, you know, I understand. And I guess the good thing about it is that making Meg 2 means that hopefully that's financed about five of his new <laughs> proper Ben Wheatley films and I, I can't wait for, for wait for those to happen. No, so he's um, coming back with Meg 3. Meg he's got three. a taste of the big box now. Well, even well, Mega. There was, a, there was a time when he was supposed to be doing the new Tomb Raider film and I'm kind of sad that that never happened. Mm. Although now having seen Meg 2, then I guess the Tomb Raider film wouldn't have been as Ben Wheatley as I, as I wanted either. So um, yeah, it was a shame because I just wanted more for it. And I hadn't seen the Meg, so maybe... Oh, that, that was your first <laughs> so, mistake. So may, maybe if I'd seen the Meg, I would have been more invested, but I don't think so. <laughs> so, so, I, so I broadly you, got what was going on. So you went, when you went into a film about one of the 
the biggest shark uh-huh. going in and just eating everyone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What was your expectation? <laughs> that it would be more violent. violent yeah. <laughs> and that more people would get eaten. In fact, it, at the at the final act, like it takes place on, on like a, a holiday resort island, right? Yeah. And I would have liked the whole film just to be that. <laughs> I would have liked it to be Jason Statham. He's just hanging out. He's on holidays, enjoying himself, sunning on the beach. And then all of a sudden, oh, that bloody shark's come along again. I'm going to sort his shark out. Yeah, I would have enjoyed more of the mayhem that kind of happened in the third act and instead there's just yeah all this stuff at the beginning with these and they they set up these big like suits that you know that walk underwater but then that doesn't really get used at any point ever <laughs> no. it's just like you know, no one punches a shark with one or anything it's what? just like so, i liked yeah, there was it, one shot which i really liked which was inside the shark's mouth mm. whilst it was munching on people right yeah yes oh. yeah 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 yeah. And i felt like they could have done a bit more of that yeah it certainly had its moments but yeah it wasn't what i wanted it to be and similarly uh last one cocaine bear what a disappointment that was because when i go to see a film <laughs> about a bear taking cocaine and eating some people. I want to see a bear <laughs> taking some cocaine and eating some people. You just want and to again, see people get eaten, I, don't I, you? I, I do. My animals. And I, this, and I want what's it. What's going on? Exactly. Well, why do you think Grizzly Man is my favourite Werner Herzog film? <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, the, the bear wasn't on cocaine. It was on ketamine. <laughs> Boring. <laughs> I don't think a bear could eat anyone on ketamine. <laughs> Have you ever tried giving a bear ketamine? <laughs> ketamine bear, I'd love to see, actually. <laughs> the sl- yogi bear. Uh, Oh my god! Yogi bear in a K hole. Uh, <laughs> none of this is going in. Um, <laughs> but no, again, again, it seemed to be. Yeah, it was a film that was was hampered by its. I presume PG. I presume Cocaine Bear was a PG thirteen because it certainly felt like it, and it had all this like all this wholesome family subplot going on. And I was like, come on, man! I'm here to watch some bears eat some people and you're messing about with all these family values family. and stuff like that family yeah what is this a fast and furious film anyway such a shame and it, it took itself far too seriously for what it was it didn't get the tone right and in that sense it reminded me of snakes on a plane and then it had this like exploitation title and then took itself way too seriously and <laughs> i've it, had oh, it with this mother fudging bear on this mother fudging <laughs> cocaine exactly just like snakes on a plane it just did not deliver on its title. Um, so shame on you, Cocaine Bear. Fair. Shame on you. Fair enough, mate. So you are listening to the Brum Picture Show on Brum Radio, and we have been talking all things film in 2023 for this very special end-of-year episode. So we've just been talking about our biggest disappointments of the year, because you know, film wise, film, not, film not wise, life-wise. not personally wise. I was, I was wise. told we don't have time. Yeah, we don't have time for that. We really Unfortunately. don't. Unfortunately, believe maybe me. Maybe next episode. Yeah, Oof. if you got a few days. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> now it is time for us to get a little bit more positive and talk Ooh. about some of our favourite films of the year. Yee. So who's going to start us off on that one? Nadine. Well, a thousand of one. I'm not the biggest music fan i'm not the biggest soundtrack fan but i think the soundtrack is such an integral part of this film it's like another character in this film and it really elevates the film on an emotional level and i was really just sort of taken away by the music of the film it does a similar thing to 
what I think the soundtrack in Moonlight does and the soundtrack in The Yards by James Gray in, in which it takes this story about this very working class mother and her son or this, you know, this very working class family and it elevates it to a level that's almost kind of operatic, that's kind of larger than life and it just sort of really makes this film grander in some way and as a working class person myself I often feel like our stories are marginalised they're often told only in a kind of soap opera way they're not seen as big and as important as stories of people from the middle and upper classes and I think this film really goes against that and you really sort of swept along with the music you're swept along with this story you're really emotionally invested in these characters and whether you agree or disagree with what they do I think you really empathize with them and and you really see things from their point of view and I, I just think it's an amazing film and I want more people to, to see it uh, I didn't get to see it at the cinema um, I saw it on Now TV so if you have Now TV I recommend streaming it um, it may be available uh, to buy as well on other services. Beautiful story set in Harlem. It's a young woman. She starts the film, comes out of Rikers Island, a prison in New York. She's in her early 20s. It's the 90s. And that period detail is so beautiful in this. Honestly, down to the, the way she lines her lips, down to the belt she wears in her jeans, down to the bandanas she wears. Uh, Honestly, perfect period detailing. My sister was a huge hip-hop and R&B fan and I could sort of... The film sort of spans many years and I, there was times where I was like, oh my God, that bandana is the exact style of bandana that people wore in 2001. So I really appreciated those period details. It really took me back to that time. I grew up in, in the, the 90s. I was a teenager in the noughties. Yeah, I just thought, and it just, um, amazing sense of place. The director was really interested in this idea of gentrification and she said it was really hard to go back to Harlem and shoot this film there because a lot of those places uh, didn't exist anymore and they had to shoot bits and pieces here and there. It's quite, you know, an emotional story. You know, I cried at the end. Um, I mentioned Moonlight. I don't want to mention it too much because I think it's a different film. But it had a similar structure in that we see this child at three different stages as, as a small child, as a young teenager and then as an older teenager. And it reminded me a little bit of Angela's Ashes in that way. I think my only gripe is whenever you see the same character portrayed by different actors... I often feel like I emotionally identify with that first actor that portrays that character. And I think in this, I would have loved to have seen more of that relationship with Inez and her younger son, um, the younger version of her son, because that I think he was such a, an amazing child actor and their relationship was so beautifully done. Um, there's some twists and turns in this film. I just, yeah, I, I understand why it's structured that way. And when you get to the end of the film, you're like, yes, we did need to see that whole journey of that child growing up. But I just loved those moments so much and I just wanted a bit more of that relationship. But I do recommend this film. I think it was beautifully made. It's a debut feature of, of, of a woman director, uh, which I'm all about supporting Lena Thwaite was one of the producers. Amazing soundtrack, some great deep cut um, sort of hip hop tracks um, and other tracks in it as well. And just, you know, beautiful film 
will leave you emotionally devastated by the end, but also weirdly uplifted. That's beautiful. Well, I have to check that out. Yeah, I have yeah. to check Do that check out. it out. I, I think if we get the chance, I definitely want to screen it at Screen B14 because I think more people need to see this film. The main actress um, has had some Oscar buzz. It, it might get lost because I feel like the film came out a little bit earlier in America and often the later films get a bit more attention. But I do hope it gets some awards because I think it's a, it's a beautiful film. Lovely. Uh, anything else you want to very quickly mention? Honourable mentions... Pearl, mm-hmm. screen that screen B fourteen, Medusa Deluxe, mm-hmm. um, a fun kind of murder mystery one shot movie set in a hairdressing competition. Rye Lane, we also showed that at Screen B fourteen. The Pale Blue Eye, a gothic kind of Poe mm. uh, Poe mystery on Netflix, which yeah. I just love that vibe. Mm-hmm. Christian Bale was really good in it. I like that. Um yeah. and my other favourite films of the year. Killers of the Flower Moon, mm-hmm. which we've mentioned on the first episode of this show, so I won't get into detail, but I love that. I, that is probably my favourite film of the year. I hope it gets all the awards. Lily Gladstone needs her Oscar now. Give her all her flowers, please. Mm-hmm. And I really enjoyed Polite Society. It was fun. It was fast-paced. Action comedy. A young South Asian girl wants to be a stunt woman. Um, it's silly. It had a kind of spaced energy for me, kind of Edgar Wright-esque. Um, same director who did uh, We Are Lady Parts on Channel 4. So, yeah, Killers of the Flower Moon, Polite Society and A Thousand and One are my top recommendations from 2023. Thanks, Nadine. So, Rory, what have you enjoyed this year? Yeah, a lot of the films Nadine's mentioned, um, mainly because she screened them. Uh, <laughs> so, Riley, I really enjoyed and, and, and Pearl as well. Barbie, I think we have to mention that, as we mentioned earlier. It was a brilliant film. Mm-hmm. Um, I, lo- I loved it. Um, I didn't think I was going into it loving it. Mm. I thought it was going to be cheesy or whatever, but you know, I, I thought it was, it was amazing, so funny, mm-hmm. and also emotional as well, Like particularly the end, that montage with the Billie Eilish song, I thought mm-hmm. was really good as well. Um, but no, I've chosen Fablemans, which was, I think, February of uh, this year was a lot earlier and yeah it was very early to the point where i thought it i didn't even think it was this year i I mean he's a master it was watching a master at work i think it was criticized a lot as being kind of like a home movie like like a very small film but for me it just says everything especially i think i related it a lot as well with you know my childhood and i think which really what it was about it was about basically Steven Spielberg or a young Sammy watching his his parents' love really fall apart through the lens of the camera, you know, and and watch and then trying to take control of that narrative really, which then led to sort of him rebuilding himself through that, which led to his passion for filmmaking. That all started really when he first watched that film with the train crash. You know, it completely traumatized him, but he was enamored by it, and then he used filmmaking really to overcome that fear and it's the same thing really with his with his parents marriage and it falling apart yeah i loved it i thought it was amazing um i loved the ending i loved um a certain someone oh look he's he's come through the door now oh <laughs> hello. hello what are you doing here do you mean me <laughs> david lynch playing john ford and giving some wonderful advice to the young steven spielberg at the end of the film you've got to remember where the horizon is that's right that's what he said okay thanks david see ya <laughs> bye um, I love that ending. It was brilliant. The final shot of that film, it was so funny and 
clever and just you know oh, like gotta watch it. i haven't seen the it slight yet. do you know what i mean the slight sort of the imperfection i think it was about really a shot is perfect if it's imperfect mm. i think and i love that i thought that was that was amazing yeah what were your thoughts because you weren't the biggest fan of it in the end i wasn't i mean i didn't hate it but it just wasn't top tier spielberg mm. for me and i don't i certainly didn't come away with it with that warmer warmer feeling what is top tier spielberg for you uh lincoln Mm. Actually, I meant to mention Lincoln last episode when we were talking about Napoleon because that was the kind of biopic that I yeah. I like in that it focuses on a very specific, specific part of his life and I just thought it's a masterpiece. You know, the usual Spielberg stuff is yeah, top tier. Jaws, but yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, <laughs> War of the Worlds. <laughs> no, I, I really do. Yeah, that's another one we haven't really talked about much. I definitely enjoyed The Fablemans more than Indiana Jones. But, of course, he didn't actually direct the new one, which oh. I think was part of the main problem with the new Indiana Jones. I hope you're talking about Di- Dial of Destiny, not the original Indiana yes, Jones. Yes, yeah, thing. no, of course. Yeah, the, the Dial of um, Destiny. I've got to um, say, I've not seen it. But I've got a lot of time for Paul Dano, so I will go. He was yes, I will yeah, see. absolutely. Yeah, no, I, I certainly don't mean to say that. Um, yeah, I didn't like it. I've given it three stars on my list. It didn't really touch yeah, me. Slightly above much, average. So, you know, but again, maybe I was in a bad mood. And also, it was it was at the beginning of the year, so I, I barely remember anything about it other than <laughs> other than David Lynch. And you had to remind me that he was in it. I think I I, it was a perfect viewing experience for me mm. in that I was in um, the Odeon Lux. Mm-hmm. Oh, the recliner that. fully reclined mm-hmm. and also i related to it in a visceral way yeah like my childhood connected to that in a, in a right, very visceral right. way um which is not good everyone's not gonna get mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. yeah i did love that yeah yeah, yeah. No, it's, I'm, it's, I'm definitely gonna check it out it's been on my watch list for a long time but but i never feel in the mood for it mm-hmm. but i know i want to watch it but now that you've you've sold it to me i'm gonna i'm gonna go watch it mm, good stuff well, I'd say I'd revisit it, but uh, I probably won't. But, but maybe yeah. I should one day. I'll just watch the David Lynch scene on, on, on repeat. <laughs> on repeat. In the mirror. You know, that's all. I, I just wish the whole film had been about David, <laughs> David Lynch being John Ford. <laughs> wow. It, it, it was John Ford, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The sequel. So, yeah, exactly. So, what was your favourite film? Well, quickly, I've drafted a little top five. Pearl. Definitely, Yay. even though I guess it was made last year, but it was released this year in the UK. Bo is afraid because I'm a massive mm. Ari-, Ari Aster fan. Divisive. It, very divisive, and it was certainly no Midsummer, uh, but I, I truly enjoyed I, that film. Can I, I just say, sorry, that I went to see it in the audience. Uh, I went to a late night screening and I was the only person laughing. Oh, really? <laughs> but I that's, laughed that's, quite a lot during that's that film. The thing, it is so funny. And it's, it's a uh, dark yeah, comedy. It really is a dark comedy. And also, I think, again, the viewing experience for me made it because I unknowingly went to see that film with COVID. And it wasn't until... No, no, it wasn't until... Because I you know, it started feeling a bit unwell. And then it wasn't until I kind of got into it. I was like, oh, I'm actually really genuinely feverish. And I think... <laughs> oh no, I'm not well. And I thought that made it kind of like a 4DX experience because the film is a fever dream of a film. And for me to literally be feverish and, and Paul Ill, is afraid. Paul is afraid. <laughs> that could it, be your yeah. autobiography. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just want to apologise as well because I gave Paul COVID. <laughs> yeah, 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 <laughs> I, yeah. I didn't know. I didn't know. Yeah, yeah. And I didn't I didn't knowingly go to the cinema yeah. with COVID. I was feeling a bit under the weather. And then as the film went on, I was like, oh, this is more than under the weather, isn't it? I'm actually, yeah. I've, I've, I've got COVID. I've and I so that yeah that's that kind of added to the experience for me and uh, I just thought it was well yeah just great yeah, again 
it was another example of like a director making some very successful films and the studio going do what you like mate and then he just comes out with a self-indulgent three-hour mess and brilliant that's 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 what i like also the royal hotel is in my top five which we discussed the other week on the show also the beasts which i would love to have time to talk about a little bit more but that was released in the uk this year and that's a spanish french thriller about Ooh. yeah about a, a french couple moving into the galician countryside in northern spain and then getting into conflicts with the locals and it just it's just a really really good film and yeah i don't have time to really go into why it was quite so great but the film i'm going to talk about because i'd say it's probably the film that i remember the most uh, is reality mm. if if you remember that or heard about oh, that it's about the arrest of a whistleblower or is she a whistleblower Ooh. and it's previous listeners of the show will know that I love a good procedural and this film it's that five minute scene in a cop movie where they raid the house but that's the whole film as in it just follows the process of these police turning up and arresting and searching this young woman's house and it's just wonderful like it just goes into these wonderful little mundane details so it's actually based on the actual transcripts of the real life arrests as in word for word this is how the raid went it's just got these wonderful little details of of humanity in it like she's at first like she's really over polite and there's these interludes into domesticity and just like friendly conversation between her and the and the fbi agents who are in, in the process of taking her in there's just so much talk about the logistics of of what to do with the dog whilst we're talking to you what room are we going to talk in like where, where are we going to move a, it sounds like paul you should have worked for the police and <laughs> <laughs> it's quite it's quite possible but yeah there's all the mundane details just you know the cleanliness of different rooms and you know where we're going to do this and then you you question whether they're being nice there's like they, they try and be nice and just do the usual human niceties but obviously the undercurrent is they're about to take her down for mm. you know for doing some possibly various serious stuff and uh, and yeah you really kind of just get engrossed in it it reminded me a little bit of mass um if you remember that the the jason isaacs film it's just set in a room and it's just two parents of some uh, school victim shootings um just talking in a room for the whole film i liked that film a lot but my problem with it is it very much felt like a play with its one one location setting but i think this despite all taking place in one house and literally just being based on these transcriptions it feels a lot more cinematic than mass did for me because it's, it's got all these lovely little nice visual flourishes so there's like information that is redacted from the actual transcripts and the film deals with this by just literally having the character be redacted from the screen when she's saying like certain things and classified information or whatever and it's just all these little bits like you know use of shallow focus when the world starts closing in and her and it's just it's just got this amazing build-up of tension like there's bits of it where it's almost like a, a horror movie with the score you've just got the fbi agents pretending to be all really nice but they've just got this sinister sinister smile going on and then there's this like slowly building score that you just like ooh, you know and there's all these little details there's just the little hints of sexism like they assume that her rifle is going to be pink you know when they find out she's got a rifle and all that kind of stuff and that you know the shock at how much she can bench press and the fact that she can speak all these languages but i also like that it wasn't kind of overly political like it's not like oliver stone like mm. properly shoving its politics down your throat 
quote by using just the transcripts of the film that kind of diminishes the chance of it being ideologically tainted in a way because it's just like this is actually what's said this is what happened it's quite difficult for it to um to kind of skew your your view on it by taking that approach but yeah and it's it's, it's just a great little uh, study on the the nature of memory because they're asking you these questions and you know she's getting her dates mixed up because of course you would and you don't know is she being elusive or just genuinely forgetful and and Sydney Sweeney's performance is just excellent and so much of the film is just just close-ups of her face uh, processing what's happening and just seeing what's about to happen dawn on her and it's just so well done and it's got an 82 minute runtime which is perfect for the kind of film it is so so yeah that that may not have been the best film of the year but for me it was definitely the one that stuck with me the most and i just yeah i just really wanted to talk about it because i don't think loads of people saw it so um so there you go and yeah just a really inventive thing because i've not really i don't think i've really seen anything that has actually been based on actual transcripts like that because i remember there was that rick and morty video where it's just like an actual court transcript that's been turned into a rick and morty cartoon but i i struggle to think of any other films that kind of follow that formula they must exist Mm. but do email us in. Yeah, do email us in. Yeah. A picture show at Brum Radio. Rory looks like he's there's, got a film I'm on the sure There's a film I watched a few years ago, and, and it could do email us if you know this film. There's a film, it's about a woman who works in a fast food restaurant, mm. and someone doesn't pay, I think, and then they kidnap him, or they lock him in a room and mm. wait for the police to come. Um, mm. But the police don't come in for ages, and mm. they just have him in this room. Okay. And it's kind of about that unfolding. Right, it was right. okay, but I'm, I can't remember what that damn film's called now. And okay. It's going to be really annoying. If you know wow. the name of that film... Yeah. <laughs> mm. um, I know this, we're not going to use this, but, <laughs> <laughs> but I just can't remember what it's, what it's called. You're listening to The Brum Picture Show on Brum Radio, and we have been having a lovely little chat about 2023 and the year in film. But now, before we go, we just want to briefly talk about what we're looking forward to in 2024. I'm looking forward to see Ryan Gosling perform I'm Just Ken at the Oscars. Yeah, I want to see that. This is a prediction. I haven't had news of this. But I think they'll be missing a trick if they don't do a full-on Busby Berkeley, <laughs> Busby Berkeley type musical number with Ryan Gosling singing that song at the Oscars in 2024. So, yeah, that's my prediction. Looking forward to films. I was looking forward to this film this year, Dune 2. But then the actors and the writer's strike happened and they pushed it back to 2024. As Timothy Chalamet himself tweeted... Dune, 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 dune. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say, I, I'm not saying the first film was like the best film ever made. I think this review from Letterboxd perfectly sums it up. Mm. From Cookie, not bad if you ever just feel like staring at the colour orange and not feeling a single emotion for two and a half hours. Wow. But you know what? Sometimes you just want to stare at the colour orange, not feel an emotion for two and a half hours and listen to a pretty amazing soundtrack by Hans Zimmer. Yeah. Yeah. And and I love the sound. Yeah. And the sound mix is amazing. And I'm not a big sound and music person, but I went to see this at the cinema and it was was an experience in the best sense. Mm. It was a theme park ride in the best sense. It felt, it did feel 4D. And it felt like, if I, yeah, it, it, 
I have my gripes with the first Dune film, but you know what? Just let it wash over you. Let the sands wash over you. Let the music and the sound wash over you and just and just enjoy it. Other films that I'm looking forward to? Oh, I'm really looking forward to Nosferatu by Robert Eggers. Oh, yeah. I yeah. forgot that was happening. Yeah. Wow. We've seen shots from it. We've seen mm. shots of Lily Rose Depp. We've seen a few sneak peeks from it. I think it's the perfect subject matter for him. I didn't go and see Northman at the cinema because I didn't fancy it, but actually watching it at home, again, really another one with an amazing sound mix that just mm. took me into this world. I've got a lot of time for Steve McQueen. He's got a new film coming out, Occupied City. I don't know very much about it, but I'll watch anything that he makes. I think he's brilliant. Same, yeah, I'd like to watch that. Megalopolis. Mm. I think it's going to be a hot mess. Is that actually coming out next year? Ah, uh, so I've heard. Mm. <laughs> uh, Francis Ford Coppola, Adam Driver's starring in it. Wow. There's been all sorts of reports of like chaos on set. Apocalypse Now was one of the most chaotic films ever made and it's mm. also one of my favourite films ever made. I don't think this will live up to that. I don't think it's going to be as amazing as Apocalypse Now. It might not even be very good. But I just kind of, I just want to see the car, the car crash of it if it's that bad. I just, I just want to see, I think Francis Ford Coppola is so unique in the way that he's taken on the financial burdens of his films and he's been very true to his artistic vision. And I just want, I just want to see what he's done. I just think it's going to be mad. Beetlejuice 2, mm-hmm. can't wait for that. Civil War, Alex Garland, looking forward to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so those are my... My films I'm looking forward to next year. Lovely. I, I agree with a lot of those, definitely. Rory, what are you looking forward to? Um, all of those. Uh, <laughs> and to add to that, Mickey 17, so that's Ooh. a Bong Joon-ho film. Ah, cool, cool. There's a film called Society of the Snow. Oh, I'm yeah. really looking forward to that. I, yeah. I've only just read about... Is that the Netflix? About that? the 1972 Uruguayan plane crash. Yeah, yeah. Which, I, yeah. Mm. yeah, I love a good plane crash, so that sounds, that sounds <laughs> really and good. And you love cannibalism as well. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. For you there, Paul. Um, I don't know why I've written Kung Fu Panda 4. <laughs> I think we you know, know why. You know why. <laughs> because you're looking forward to it, Rory. Be, own it. Skidoosh. Admit it. Admit I loved it. the first one, mm-hmm. which I think you said you did, Nadine. Yeah, I mean, my daughter was of an age where she was watching a lot of rubbishy cartoon movies, but that one was, yeah, was a great one. That mm. was a great one. Kung Fu Panda 2 wasn't quite as good. Kung Fu Panda 3, I didn't watch. Neither did so I. So I might come back to Kung Fu Panda mm-hmm. 4. You know, yeah, who knows? Bring, bring well, it back. Yeah. I actually am not going to watch that film. <laughs> 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 you've you've written it down. You you've written are. it down. You will. You, you definitely will. will. Maybe we'll screen it. Yeah. Screen B14. True. Maybe. Let's all go we together. Yeah. But do you know what, though? Uh, again, this is not... But it's the Super Mario Brothers movie. I did really enjoy that. I, I didn't see it. Yeah, it was really good. Yeah. Well, we screened it, didn't yeah. we? Ah, yes. Yeah. Yes, yeah. we did. But um, yes, Society of the Snow and Mickey 17. Mm -hmm. Yeah, what about yourself? I agree with a lot of those, especially Kung Fu Panda 4. Um, (laughs) And yeah, Dune, Beetlejuice 2. I'm also very much looking forward to Yorgos Lanthimos' next feature, Poor Things, because I absolutely adore his films. I believe we're talking about Killing of a Sacred Deer last episode. The Lobster. Oh, The Lobster. The Lobster is great. Lobster is great. Very much looking forward to that. Also looking forward to Furiosa, the. the new Mad Max spin-off because let's face it the new Mad Max film 
which I guess probably came out nearly 10 years ago now or something like that, is just one of the best. The new, new Men yeah, Met film. It's, it's one of the best we, action films of, of we recent years. We can't go into this. I think that film's rubbish. What? Yeah. Oh, we definitely don't have time it. for that. Oh, my goodness. I couldn't goodness. sit through it. But Whoa I do there. love Charlize <laughs> Theron. I was a bit disappointed that she won't be in we this film. We can't go film. into it. Okay, let's slow down. Let's okay. slow down. We can't. Um, what? <laughs> no, we don't have time for that. Um, yeah. So yeah, I'm really looking forward to Furiosa. Really? It's, just <laughs> a film. it's, it's about a, a guy on a car, on cars, and they go up oh, one yeah. place and then they go down. Yeah. And that's it. Oh, mate. It's, wow. I didn't get it. No, I think it's George Miller's best film. It's up there with Babe Picking the City. So um, He directed that? You didn't know that? Oh my god! George Miller, director of the Mad Max films, directed the Babe films, and also Happy Feet with the dancing penguins. He's got I such prefer a Happy Feet. Sporadic um, career and yeah. uh, Witches of Eastwick, I believe. Oh yes, yes, which exactly. Which is actually a very good film. Yeah, man. So he's great. I, I, I just love that he, in his seventies or whatever, came back with new Mad Max and was like, "Oi, everyone, this is how you make an action film." My God, Rory. Sorry. Um, <laughs> also very much looking forward to Fede Alvarez's new Alien film because I was a huge fan of Don't Breathe and his remake of Evil Dead, which terrifyingly is also 10 years old now. What? That's bonkers. Like, yeah, I never expected the Evil Dead remake to be good and I thought it was it was excellent. So definitely looking forward to seeing what he's done with, with, with an Alien film. And apparently Ridley Scott's seen it and he said... It's effing good. Um, Hang on, was that a Yorkshire accent I detected? Yeah. Why, oi, man, it's effing good, like. Cancelled again. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So, yeah, lots to look forward to in 2024. And we hope that you have very much enjoyed our roundup of 2023. Thank you for joining us. Yes, for, thank you. Don't forget, if you would like to add your thoughts, email us at pictureshow at brumradio.com. Follow us on our social media channels, the platform formerly known as Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at ScreenB14 or follow us on Letterbox Brum Picture Show. So we will see you in the new year. Woo! Well, you'll hear us in the new year, ho- hopefully. <laughs> yeah. I hope we won't see you. It might yeah. be quite awkward. Yeah, if you just turn up at the studio and start yeah. complaining at us. Yeah. But yeah, and please come along to our screenings. We've got three in January. Mm-hmm. We've got on the 6th of January, The Muppets Movie. We've got on the 18th of January, Midland Shorts, our fifth birthday screening extravaganza. And on the 27th of January, we've got The Red Shoes. So check out www.ticketsource.co.uk slash screen dash B14. Lovely. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Thank you. For now, it's goodbye from me, Paul. It's goodbye from me, Nadine. And have a happy new year. Goodbye from me, Rory. Goodbye. Bye. You have been listening to The Brum Picture Show, a Screen B14 production for Brum Radio. Tune in next time for more film fun. And don't forget to email us at pictureshow at brumradio.com. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. I'm just kidding. Brian Gosling was the best thing in that movie. Thank you for listening to this Brum Radio podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and rate us on your podcast app.